Well, good morning. I hope that you are doing well. You survived uh, the first week of school if you have kids. So amen to that, right? Um, car lines and tornado warnings and all the other stuff, school supplies and everything else. But we're glad you are here. You wouldn't believe me if I told you this, but I had to pose for like hours for them to get a sculpture of me. Um, I mean, I'm pretty ripped, okay? Been working out, you know, uh, low carb, okay? No, just kidding. Uh, but no, today we start this series uh, on the life of David called The Crown. And David was probably one of the most pivotal and influential um, figures, really, in biblical history and really, um, I mean, obviously the history of Israel, but all in redemptive history, because as we're going to see, if you don't know, Jesus actually comes from the line of David. And so we're starting this journey looking um, at his life, and you probably have heard this said, this is kind of, David is, is really, he's kind of marked by two huge things, two defining moments in his life. One is the story of David and Goliath, okay? We know that story. You probably learned it when you were like wee big, however big that is. But you learned he had that slingshot and destroyed that giant. So he's either known by that or he's known by an adulterous relationship with a lady uh, by the name of Bathsheba. And, um, but what we, what we see, which is kind of crazy if you think about it, is one, in the Old Testament, um, God raises up and it tells the prophet Samuel I'm going to pick a man who has a heart like mine or a man that's after my heart. You see the Apostle Paul later, way after David, David's reign in Acts, that Paul actually says that, um, that David is a man after God's own heart. And, you know, you have to kind of theologically wrestle with that. Like I'm thinking, okay, how is he a, a man after God's own heart amidst all of his failures? And that's the beauty of the life of David, that... While he made mistakes and had failures along the way, ultimately, man, he really wanted to seek the Lord. And so we can kind of parallel to that in a lot of ways. And, um, and we hopefully over the next six weeks we'll see, man, there's some aspects of David's life. While, I mean, you aren't the king of Israel. Um, there's different aspects along the way that we can pull from and say, that's kind of where I'm at in my walk with God. Or, oh, I could see how God could use me um, in that. And so we're going to be, we're going to start uh, this in the book of Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, 1 Samuel. And um, in the Old Testament, I love this, and I try to give some historical context and kind of put us in the picture, because I don't know if you do this, but a lot of times with Old Testament stories, uh, they're so crazy a lot of times that it kind of seems like folklore a little bit. Like, okay, that's kind of distant. I don't know if that would really happen. That doesn't make sense. But I think it's good for us to understand the context, kind of put us in the story so we can really grasp what God is wanting to say through this. I mean, it's in there for a reason. This is historical. It's not made up. And so God wants us to learn from it. So let me kind of paint the picture, if you will, of where, uh, where we're going to start this morning. Um, first, you probably know the story. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt under evil King Pharaoh. And so they're enslaved. They're hating life. I mean, they're just, they're, they hate it. 
and he's working him to the bone. Well, God raises up this leader by the name of Moses, comes to him through a burning bush. That's crazy. And says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And so he's like, me, I'm a nobody, you know, like I'm not eloquent in my words. And he's like, I'm going to use you. So he uses Moses to really buck up to King Pharaoh. King Pharaoh eventually lets the Israelites go out of slavery and under Moses' leadership, he leads them into the wilderness for 40 years, and they're just kind of wandering around, and really, uh, God, or Moses keeps telling the people, hey, we're going to the promised land that God has promised us. They're like, yeah, this isn't the promised land, you know, like, we're starving, and they even get to the point where they're like, can we just go back to being slaves? It was actually better. And so the conditions weren't good, but then in this defining moment at a place called Mount Sinai, God spoke to Moses, provided the Ten Commandments. All right, you probably know this if you've seen Prince of Egypt, the Disney movie, or Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston. All right, that's, that probably should uh, range some, some life stages there, okay? But um, who thought Char- Charleston Heston would be Moses? But anyway, at this moment, God provides the Ten Commandments, and the people, the Israelites, enter into this covenant with God, really saying, okay, we believe there's one God, and we want to follow him with everything that we have. And so they promise that to God. So God, under Moses and then Joshua, they go into the promised land where they are supposed to live for God. Worship only God. Um, he is the king. He is the one that's in control. And what we see is in the book of Judges. If you've never read the book, it's, it's a pretty dark book. And what we see is moral chaos that takes place. That there is no leadership. And what um, the book of Judges actually says in chapter 21, verse 25, that in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So it was just chaos. And everybody was trying to do their own thing. And it really pointed out um, the evilness of man's heart, the people were disobeying the Lord. It was, it was just a hot mess. And it really showed that they needed some, um, some leadership here. So that brings us really to the book of Samuel. Now, in our Bibles, we have First and Second Samuel um, in the original manuscript, transcripts, or whatever. It's one coherent book. We only divided it because they're of the scroll length, okay? They're really long stories, as you can imagine if you've ever studied it. And so we break it down. But 1 Samuel, this is so awesome. It starts with this uh, story of this lady, this woman named Hannah. And she is just really grieving the fact that she can't have a child. And she's really struggling in that. And by the grace of God, he provides a child for her. And out of that abundance and just praise, she writes a song. It's called Hannah's Song, or it's really a poem. And through that, and here's the, like, the literary um, beauty of this, she really foreshadows the history of Israel, of what's about to take place. And, um, and so she hits on things. These are just kind of three kind of big things. That one, that God um, opposes the proud and exalts the humble. So that's, I mean, that's a good uh, rule of thumb to live by. You know, that if people are arrogant, if they're prideful, God opposes those and he exalts. He raises up those who, um, who are humble and aren't prideful. And so she talks about that in her song. She also says that despite the evil in the world, 
that God is still at work. And even in like, I mean, the age-old question of like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why does a loving God allow evil to happen in this? That she is proclaiming, hey, despise all that evil, God's at work. God is doing things in the midst of that. Um, And then third, that God will raise up this messianic um, anointed king, kind of uh, pointing forward to uh, Jesus. And so we see that, and what ends up happening is that the Israelites get into a battle with the Philistines. It's like their arch nemesis, all right? And they get into this, this fight, and so what the Israelites do is actually quite humorous. So they have what's called the Ark of the Covenant that represents God, and they really kind of put it out in front of the Philistines, be like, hey, God's on our side, you know, back up, really out of arrogance and pride. And what ends up happening is the Philistines defeat the Israelites, and they steal the Ark of the Covenant. So they're like, hi, that's what you're going to, you know, flaunt. So they take it, and what ends up happening, long story short, God brings plagues on the Philistines. They're like, okay, it's the Ark of the Covenant. We'll give it back. They give it back to the Israelites, and the Israelites are in this place. Well, now they say, we lost that fight because we have no leader. We don't have a king. And the, the nation of Israel was never meant to have a king other than God. But because they were man-centered and they looked around, they looked everywhere and they said, we need a king like every other nation. So Samuel is this guy. He's a prophet. He's actually the child of Hannah who was born. And he becomes really the leader of Israel. He is like the man. So he goes to God and says, God, they want a king. He's like, well, I'll allow them to have a king. If they want a king, they can pick it. And so they come to um, Samuel, and they're like, hey, Samuel, you pick us a king. And he picks this guy by the name of Saul. Now, Saul was the very first king of Israel. Um, He was tall, dark, and handsome, a lot like me, just tall, okay? And um, from the outside, he looked like he had it all together. I mean, he was like the perfect candidate to be the king, I mean, he was a strapping man. Uh, People feared him. He was well-liked, all this other stuff. And as the story unfolds is that from the outside, Saul looked like, like he had it all together. But as he takes over the kingdom and begins to lead the nation of Israel, some deep, deep character flaws come to the surface. We see that he's dishonest. He's not a man of integrity. He doesn't take responsibility for any of his faults. And then the kicker of it all is that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 15 is that he blatantly disobeys God. He's like, I don't need God. He got to the point where he was this arrogant. I'm the king. I have all the power. Who cares what God says? And so the prophet Samuel, I love this, comes to Saul and says, hey, guess what? (laughs) You're not going to be the king anymore. He actually says this in chapter 13. He says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And so Samuel goes to Saul, confronts him. He's like, hey, you're no longer going to be king. So imagine what what Saul is going to do. He's angry. He's like, no, I'm the king. No one's going to overthrow this guy. And so he becomes angry and um, a little bit more powerful. 
all these different things. And that's where we really pick up in chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 16, incredible, incredible story, uh, introductory into the life of David. Hopefully that context helped. You can follow along on the screens as well. But here's where we get, um, starting in verse 1, chapter 16. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Now, what that means is Saul was actually the guy that, or I'm sorry, Samuel was the guy that picked Saul. And Samuel, as the prophet, as the leader, man, his heart is just broken. He loves the people and he feels like a failure. He's like, man, what happened here? And so he's grieving that, and God shows up. It's like, hey, how long are you going you gonna to cry about it? He says, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the uh, um, Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. I mean, I, I, I'm dead meat. If he gets word of this, he's going to kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Uh, or sacrifice to the Lord, not sacrifice the Lord. That'd be weird, okay? Sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peacefully? Now, you have to kind of know the context of this a little bit, but Samuel was like an ancient Chuck Norris, all right? I mean, he was a bad dude in a good sense. I mean, he's laying down the law for God. And so when he shows up, they're like, okay. Like we saw, he just went face to face with King Saul and said, You're not going to be king anymore, <laughs> Joker, all right? You're, you're out of here. So what is he showing up for? He's about, to, he's about to clean house. I don't know what he's about to do. So they're trembling. They're like, hey, do you come peacefully? <laughs> and he says, peacefully, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Now, culturally, in this kind of uh, scenario, the community would gather, and it would be a time of worship, really, and consecrating themselves, there'd be a, a sacrificial lamb or, or a, like a cow here or whatever the case may be. But they would gather and really kind of, once they say consecrate, bring themselves and kind of offer themselves upon the Lord. Like, God, just use me. That's really, that's really, how, whatever you want to do in me, okay, use me. So that's what's going on here. And so uh, he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he took on... Um, uh, Elab, or Elab, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now, this is the oldest son of Jesse. And culturally speaking, the oldest son would be like the guy, right? I told my younger kids, they were here. I was like, the oldest son is always the best, right? And they were like, no, okay? Um, but you think about this. I mean, he's like, hey, this is my pride and joy. This is my oldest son. You know, I'm thinking he's probably ripped. He's looking good like he's crossfitted, you know, and all that stuff. Eats protein shakes for every meal, all that stuff. And he comes up thinking he's going to be the next king. So they're like, surely the Lord's anointed him. And listen to what Samuel says. I mean, what a, what a harsh uh, rejection um, in this. He says, um, uh, he called him and he says, no, nope, you know, the Lord... Uh, 
the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. <laughs> That's some harsh words. But then get what happens next. I love this. I love this. I love this. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what? The heart. Looks on the heart. Now, before we kind of go any further, just let me read this and then explain something for a second. It says that the Lord, right, that the the man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I mean, this is good news and bad news if you think about this. The good news is, for many of us, myself included, we get stressed out in the life that we have right now because in so many instances and in so many cases, we want the outward appearance to look great. We want to look like we have it all together, that we have a successful job, that we're the best dad and mom in the world, um, our marriage is going great, and it's easy, 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 especially in a church setting, to be like, everything's great, let me just put on this fake smile. And it stresses us, it carries great burden because we work so hard to keep that status and that identity up. And the good news is, God does not care about any of it. He doesn't care what job you have and what clothes you wear and what you look like to other people. He doesn't care about those things, so stop working so hard to impress man. But the bad news is this, because he cares about the heart, think about this. I don't know if I could say with full confidence, maybe good confidence, but do I have a heart that God would say, that's a man after my own heart? That should be a challenge to us this morning. That should be a sobering thought to say, do I have the heart? Do I have the character? That's what God is after. He sees the heart more than those outward appearances. And this is so true in this case. And so what ends up happening is now, um, now that the oldest son has, has been overlooked and been rejected, and Samuel says, hey, God's not looking at the height and the stature and his build and all that stuff. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at the character. So then, really kind of one by one, this is kind of like a Cinderella moment. They're all trying to fit their fat foot in the, in the slipper, right? And so Jesse's presenting his sons one by one to, to see what happens. And each are met with rejection. And so um, you have um, Jesse in verse 8. Uh, Jesse calls um, Abinadab, I guess that's how you say it, I don't know, uh, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse um, made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to him, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. I mean, think about this. The dad's like, yeah, well, there's one more, but he's out there tending to the sheep. And they have to think culturally, man, that outcast, social rejects, he's a nobody. There's no way he's going to be the king. So let's let him be out there, be stinky out with the sheep or whatever. He's out there. There's, there's no way. And Samuel said uh, to him, 
Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. I love it. We're not going anywhere. We got all day. <laughs> Bring him to us. And so he comes, and he sent, and they brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. This is David. Now ruddy there can mean two things. Scholars believe ruddy could, could one, explain uh, his physical appearance in the sense of uh, they believe he had red hair and pale skin and freckled, you know, if you know anybody with um, fair skin or freckled, you know what I'm talking about, okay, red hair. But also, some scholars believe ruddy is more like scrappy. Now, listen, I would much rather go and fight against like a six foot five huge dude than a scrawny, scrappy redneck, okay? I'm just going to be honest, okay? And, this, and like David is like, I'm thinking he's probably from Pickens, okay? So that's a joke. If you're from Pickens, Lord, I apologize, okay? But I mean, he's just, I mean, he's just all heart. He's not scared of anything. Have you met those guys? You know, they're like this big around. They don't care. And he's like that. We later see that he, he's killing bears and lions with his bare hands. And so he comes in, this scrawny little guy. He's a teenager at this point. And can you imagine? I, I just think, like, we have two middle schoolers. I'm thinking David's, like, running in, and he's like, hey, how's it going? You know, like, squeaky voice and all and acne. And he's like, I'm going to be king. <laughs> That's fun, you know. Like, huh, when do we play Fortnite or whatever? He, he's like, think about it. But, but God, it chose him. Jesse and you can, the, the, the uh, dad and all of his brothers are probably thinking, are you kidding me right now? What is going on? And so he shows up ruddy, beautiful eyes. He's handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. This is the guy. This is the next king. And then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And I love this. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and he, and he went to Ramah. Man, what an incredible story. Now, three things just really quickly I want to point out in this that I think is so true. It's going to be played through all of David's life, but you can see it right here. The first one being is that God always has a plan. God always has a plan. It doesn't look like what we think it looks like. It doesn't encompass all the details that we might think it might encompass. But God always has a plan. But let me be real and transparent with you this week. Is that while in, in one side of my voice, I want to say, hey man, God always has a plan. For those of you who know, and we're going to spend some time praying at the end of service this morning. This week, I'm going to be honest, it's been hard to say that. And if you don't know, our executive pastor found his wife dead on Monday from a self-inflicted wound. And there's so many questions. Why? Don't understand it. There's no struggle or previous battle. There's no secret in the past. And that's why. And as you're walking with this brother, this family member, part of our team, as he tries to love on his four kids, it's hard to say God has a plan in the midst of that. And not that I've, I've experienced a ton of life, but what I do know is when life presents tragic situations, 
things that we don't think that we can make, make it through it or whatever, it's in those moments when our faith is tested that we really do, in a weird, supernatural way, understand that God does have a plan. And I'll tell you what, I needed that reminder, and this is going to sound so crazy, but this is how God works. At Sherry's funeral on Friday, her four kids got up and shared about their mom and the strength and courage that they had, and they all four said, you know what? This is a part of God's plan. One of them said, this is a part of the te- my, my testimony. And while they're grieving, man, that was so refreshing to hear them say, God has a plan. It doesn't look like what we think it looks like all the time. And I'm actually thankful for that because most of the time, if not all the time, God's plan is so much bigger, better, and extraordinary than what I had in my little finite mind. <laughs> and what I can kind of conjure up, what I think might be good, I'm like, okay, and God blows that out of the water. Now, it might take longer than I think or might, like I said, look different, but God is always faithful, and he does that in this story by just blowing up everybody's uh, preconceived notions of who a king would be, what it would look like. Saul might be the king of the people, but David was God's king, chosen by God in this, the unlikely, the unthinkable. And one kind of just side note, if you're taking notes, that I love, that God calls us out of the ordinary of our lives in order to experience the extraordinary he has planned. So in the mundane of life, in the ordinary things that are happening, he calls us out. He says, I want to do awesome, incredible things that can only be explained by me in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of ordinary, in the midst of the mundane, whatever. Those things, I want to call you to extraordinary life. I mean, think about it. David is in the pasture uh, tending these sheep. I mean, boring, okay? That's boring. And God calls him out and now anoints him as a king. Man, I love that. I love the obedience that takes place. We know the famous proverb, Proverbs 3, um, 5 through 7, where the writer says, trust in the Lord, right? And lean not on your own understanding. He says, trust in the Lord with everything you have, with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your plan. And in all of your ways, acknowledge him, God, and he will make your path straight. Or he will direct your path, your translation might say. And it says, um, be not wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you have it all together and it's your plan, right? Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Follow God and his plan and turn away from evil. I love that. Man, what a great reminder uh, this morning. And here, here's really kind of the nugget, too, with this. Is that if you think about it, the one thing that stops us from following God's plan is disobedience. God reveals his plan in so many different ways. And we just got to step into it by obeying. And by saying, yes, God, I'll follow you. But yet what we do is we disobey. And you probably have heard this say, say the statement too. Uh, delayed obedience is disobedience as well. 
And God just wants us to say, yes, God, okay, whatever's next, yes, God, and just have this continual uh, life of stepping into obedience. Now, I know it's easier said than done, okay? I'm not some superhero pastor up here that's got it all figured out. I struggle with that. Like, okay, is that my heart or is that God? And we just need to walk through that prayerfully and say, okay, God, I want to be in obedience. Samuel could have said, I'm not going to the house of Jesse. There's no one there. He could have he laughed at God and been like, okay, this dude, David, all right. God, are you seeing what I'm seeing? But he was obedient to that. And David becomes obedient to that because they believed and knew God always has a plan. I got to go quick. I'm pastor talk, all right? Number two, God always prepares his people. Now think about this. I love this. I never thought about this until I read it today. I've read this story a gazillion times. So in this moment, think about how awesome this moment is. This little teenage, little scrawny, ruddy boy comes out, and he is anointed king. God chose him. He's about to reign. I mean, think about it. I'm just going to tell you, if someone told me I was going to be king on my way home from lunch today, you know, I'm going to brag about it. It's going to be my Facebook status, okay? So he, think about this. He's telling all of his older brothers, guess what, guys? I'm the king, <laughs> all right? You know, I can imagine him going to his dad. Hey, dad, I'm the boss now, you know, to brag about it. To, he's, on, he's on cloud nine. I mean, he's anointed and all these different things. But you know what David does in this moment? Right after this huge moment, he goes back to the pasture with his sheep. In verse 19, we didn't read it this morning. I'll read it to you. It says, therefore, for Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Do you know that approximately from the time that David was um, anointed right here as king to the time that he be actually became king was roughly 17 years. He was still a shepherd. He didn't go to like some like elite, like ninja warrior course to become king, you know. He, he wasn't doing CrossFit for life and all these other things, you know, and, and, you know, whatever. Doing all this specialized training. He was tending to the sheep. So think about this. In the pasture, God was preparing David. Humility, patience. How, how to deal with things. I mean, like I said, he wrestles and kills a bear and a lion. He's teaching them in that moment. In the ordinary, at, at, pretty at a low point. I mean, think about that. I, David has to be thinking, I'm king now. Why am I still with these dumb sheep? But God's preparing him right there. And I, I say that because I was challenged this week that think about this. Guys, if you, if you hate your job, and, like, you're not looking forward to getting up tomorrow and working and paying the bills. You're like, I just do it to pay the bills. I hate it. It's stressful. I get that. And I don't want to diminish that. But God could be doing something right now in the midst of that horrible job that you have in a horrible situation where you can't stand your boss or the customers or the people you have to interact with. He could be using you to bring light and hope in that situation. He's preparing you for something. Stay-home moms, you might be saying, Oh, gosh, man, all I do is diapers and car line. I feel like I, laundry out the wazoo, all these other things. And in the midst of that, God's preparing you. Students, if you're like, man, this week at school, I just learned, like, lame stuff in history. Uh, I was doing calculus, and I'm not even going to use that the rest of my life, <laughs> you know. God's preparing you for something. 
for any of us at our jobs and in our families. In the pasture, God is preparing you for something that you can't even fathom in that moment. So embrace that time. Embrace it and say, okay, God, what do you have in store for me? That's exactly what David was doing. God was preparing the next king right there in that pasture. And then finally, in the close, God always moves his people toward his purpose. God always moves his people toward his purpose. And he moves us, designed us to advance his kingdom, to do things that aren't about our purpose. It's about God's purpose. It's about people drawing near to him. So the reason that David is, is becoming king is because be, really in a short time, people are going to come to know and follow God and there's going to be some structure to the kingdom. But the long redemptive story is that Jesus comes from David's line. He's drawing people and moving them to his purpose, his purpose to be used. And that steps, or that starts with a step of obedience for us to step out and say, okay, God, I don't know what the plan is, but you're preparing me right now. I can't stand it. It's ugly. It's nasty. It's hurtful. Uh, it's, it's just aggravating. But in this moment right now, I know you have a plan for it. I know you have a purpose. Just draw me to that. And David's purpose was going to be king. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be your purpose. It probably won't be, okay? <laughs> but your purpose could be so incredible that you can't even fathom right now how God is wanting to use you in your workplace, in your family, in the times that you interact with people who don't know Jesus. God wants to use you in that. He's doing something in you. All you have to do is say, okay, yes, Lord, let me step into obedience. Let me pray, and then we'll close in worship. Father, we are thankful that if you can use a, a ruddy, scrawny guy like David, who everybody counted out, even his own dad. Father, I know that you can use us. And at times we feel like nobodies and we feel like there's no way God could use me. I got so much history and baggage. I'm a big failure. I'm not super spiritual. God, you look at the heart. And Father, will you give us the strength to align our hearts with yours? And as that happens, Father, we know that you are faithful to not only guide our lives and how we interact with others and just at our job and in our families, but God, that you will do amazing things, not for our sake, but for your sake. So let us be obedient to that call. Let us step out and say, God, just use me. Whatever that looks like, it might not be according to my plan, but I just want to be used by you as you are faithful to us. Let us be faithful to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand and close in worship together.